Our scripture reading before the lesson this morning is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And on the red, in the Red Pew Bibles, in the pew in front of you, that is on page 812. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. It's good to see you this morning. I hope that you had a great holiday this week. And we know we've got a lot of visitors still with us this morning for holidays. We're really thankful that you've come to be a part of our worship this morning, to gather before God, to sing praises to his name, and to lift up our voices to him. Thank you so much for being a part of our assembly this morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to just, just like we did last week, I'm, I'm going to show you again. The next slide on the slide deck behind me is this one. Hang on. Oh, I don't have a signal. Well, it doesn't matter because there's nothing there. So (laughs) it's good when the battery goes dead that uh, I don't need it after all. We're going to talk about what it means to be spiritual this morning. And you can just leave your Bible open to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 because Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is all about what Jesus' prescription for spirituality is. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? You know, we tend in our society to think about spirituality and we kind of equate spirituality with emotional uh, things. If somebody feels a certain way, we might say, well, that's a spiritual person. Or maybe we've had an experience where our emotions were stirred and we go around saying, well, I just had a very spiritual experience at that particular camp or this particular retreat or that particular Bible study. But it's good for us to think about what Jesus says spirituality is. What does it mean to be spiritual? You know, in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, the Bible tells us those who are spiritual should go about restoring those who have fallen away. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says to be carnally minded is sin, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So it's obviously important to God that we ought to be spiritual people, but what does that mean? To be spiritual means that we have a frame of mind, that we have an attitude in which we want to please God and we want to serve him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the idea of being spiritual. It means that we have a frame of mind, an attitude that I want to please God and I want to serve him with all my heart. That's what it means really to be spiritual. And when you look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what you're reading is Jesus' prescription for spirituality. What does a spiritual person do? Who is spiritual according to Jesus? And if you look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, just briefly to introduce the passage, this is what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is the great manifesto of Jesus of Nazareth. What is he all about and what does he want his disciples to be? And when you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's a single sermon and it has seven discernible points that Jesus is making. He preached with structure, he he preached with illustrations, and it's amazing as you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, how simple it is. Even the smallest child can grasp things 
that are found in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, for example. But it is also deep and challenging. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. This may be the best known section of Scripture by those who are familiar with Scripture at all, and yet it's in many cases the least practiced. We know what the Sermon on the Mount says, but to put into practice what it teaches us, wow, what a challenge. You could live the rest of your life and never master what you read in the Sermon on the Mount. What is spirituality according to Jesus? Seven points of this sermon. It says in Matthew 5 verses 1 and 2, he goes up on the mountain, he sits down, he opens his mouth, and he begins to teach. And point number one is this. Spiritual people are all about godly character. Godly character. Matthew 5 verses 3 through 12. It's all about your godly character. The idea that we are to be not just putting on a show, but we are to have the kind of character from the inside out that shows that we want to please God. We want to serve Him with all of our hearts. Look at what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. Listen to how He begins, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus wants disciples who have that kind of character, mourning over sin, being poor in spirit, being meek in our relationships with God and with others, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Matthew 5, verse 6. You see it? He's talking about your heart. He's talking about your character, who you are in the dark when nobody else sees. That's what being spiritual is all about. It's about my private life before God. It's about who I am when no one else sees. Matthew 5 verse 7, blessed are those who are merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. It's about your character, Matthew 5, verse 9. It's about even being persecuted, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Do you believe in Jesus to the point where if someone started to mistreat you, if someone spoke all manner of evil against you falsely for the sake of the Lord, would you endure it and rejoice and be exceedingly glad? Being spiritual, brothers and sisters and friends, it's not just about an emotional event, it's about where our hearts are, godly character. Number two, as you read this magnificent sermon, it's about positive influence. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Godly character, verses three through 12. Positive influence, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. What kind of a difference, if you're a disciple of Jesus, what kind of a difference are you making in the lives of those around you? Do people around you, this is a really important question, do they know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do they know that you're a Christian? And it doesn't mean that you have to put on a t-shirt necessarily, or it doesn't mean that you have to go around telling everybody all that you believe and all that you're about. That wouldn't be a, a terrible thing to do. But when you're living for Jesus, it makes a difference in your conduct and your speech and people can see that. And here's what he says in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He says, you, my disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We're not to take our light and put it under a bushel. We're not to lose our saltiness. I don't care what kind of dish you're eating, if there is salt in it, and especially if there's a lot of salt in it, you know the salt is present, don't you? Even the spiciest food you might eat, if it's got a lot of salt, you know that salt is there. That's the way it is with Christians. 
And sometimes the world will look at you and if you're living for Jesus, somebody will start to tell an off-color joke or they'll start to use some language that maybe they shouldn't use. Have they ever done this to you? And they look at you and they say, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be saying that. I shouldn't be talking like that. Or they act differently when you walk into the room than before you walked into the room. And it has to do with positive influence. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Positive influence. That's what spirituality is. There are too many closet Christians in the world. There are too many people who are living their lives and nobody in their life outside of the church building has any clue that they are Christians. If that's you, you need to repent because it's not being spiritual to not let others see that difference. You don't have to be obnoxious and you don't have to parade it around, but you need to be a positive influence for Jesus and the lives of those around you. That's what being spiritual is. Third, as you look at Matthew chapter 5, the third point is really long. It goes from verse 17, Matthew 5, 17, all the way to the end of the chapter, Matthew 5, verse 48. What is spirituality all about? Matthew 5, verse 17 through 48, it is about obedience to God's will. Obedience to God's will. Whose will are you trying to do? Look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus says about God's will, about God's word, I did not come to destroy it, I came to fulfill it. Not one jot, not one tittle, those small marks in the Hebrew language, none of that is going to be passing away before all is fulfilled. In other words, Jesus is saying, those who are spiritual, they have a high view of scripture. They think a lot of what's written in this book. We think highly about what God has revealed, his will to us, the Bible. We think highly of that. And then it's about obedience to God's will. Look at verses 18 through 20 of Matthew chapter five. In verse 20, that may be the key verse of the entire Sermon on the Mount. It says in Matthew five, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And everybody would have just been shocked by that because the scribes and Pharisees, everybody looked at them and thought they were the most spiritual. They were doing the best job of pleasing God and obeying his will. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not, that's not true. It's about obedience to God's will, obedience from the heart. That's what spirituality is. And what he does beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 5 is he gives you six practical examples what are you talking about, Jesus? Let me illustrate six ways, Jesus says. I wanna talk about six different areas of people's lives where this idea of obedience needs to be carried out to its fullness. Area number one has to do with anger. Look at verses 21 through 26. You've heard it said, do not kill, do not murder. But I say unto you, Jesus says, whoever is angry with his brother, it's about how we handle our anger. Being obedient to God's will is not just saying, well, letter of the law, I've not murdered anyone. Jesus says, it's how you handle your anger towards others that makes a difference. Look at verses 27 through 30. It's about lust. You've heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart. It's about obeying God's commandments, God's will. What's the point? God doesn't want us to commit adultery physically, but he also does not want us to go around thinking about 
committing adultery in our hearts. He doesn't desire that for our lives. Spirituality is about not just what goes on in your body, but it's about what goes on in your mind and heart. You see the connection? How we handle our anger, how we handle our lust. He talks about divorce and remarriage in verses 31 and 32. You see that? Whoever divorces his wife and marries another causes her to commit adultery, the wife that he's put away. And whoever marries one who's divorced commits adultery. Jesus says divorce and marriage are not things that we just toy around with and play around with as if there's no consequences to the decisions we're making. No, there are serious spiritual consequences to the decisions we're making. When we promise somebody that we're gonna love them until they die, until we die. Jesus says it's about spirituality. Look at verses 33 through 37. It's not just about those things, but it's about our word. It's about our, our speech. If you tell somebody you're gonna do something, do it. If, don't, let your yes be yes, don't, let your no be no. Don't make up a bunch of rules by which you can deceive people and mislead people and tell them that you're gonna do something, but oh, I don't have to do it because I didn't swear by the temple. I swore by the ground under the temple, anything like that. Be honest in your speech. Let your speech be without corruption, Ephesians 4, verse 29. That's his point. It's about being obedient to God's will. Verses 38 through 42, it's about retaliation. The example of retaliation, you see how practical these examples are? Being obedient to God's will, it's about retaliating against others. Well, what if because I'm a Christian, someone starts to mistreat me, how should I respond? Jesus says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone asks for you your coat, give him your tunic also. If someone asks you to go one mile, go with him too. Why? It's about non-retaliation. It's about meekness, Matthew 5, verse 5. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Look again at verses 43 through 48. It's about loving your enemies. Loving the people who do not think like you loving the people that you are mad at, loving the people that you're having trouble getting along with, that's what disciples do. And brethren, that is what is spiritual. Spirituality has to do with not just enjoying the presence and the company of people that look like me and think like me and see things the way I see them. Being spiritual is about learning to get along with and to love and to bless people that don't do any of those things. And Jesus says, if you would truly be spiritual, this is his third point, you must be obedient to God's will. Obedient from the heart. It's about godly character. It's about a positive influence. It is about obedience to God's will, period dot. Spirituality. If we're not serious about the word of God and putting it into practice in our lives in very practical areas, in very practical ways, we're not very much like Jesus. Number four, look at Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. What is spirituality? It's about godly sincerity. Godly character, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12, and godly sincerity, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. Godly sincerity. You know, there are a lot of sincere people in the world who are not Christians. But there are, no, there are no Christians who please God, who are spiritually minded, who are not sincere. And what Jesus does in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, is to give us three practical areas of our lives in which we ought to ask repeatedly, am I sincere? 
Am I serving God out of sincerity of heart in this area? The three areas are these. Number one, giving, verses one through four of Matthew six. Giving. Area number two, prayer, Matthew, five, Matthew six, verses five through 15, prayer. And then area number three, fasting. Matthew six, verses 16 through 18, you see it? Giving, verses one through four, prayer, verses five through 15, fasting, verses 16 through 18. And in every one of those areas, here's what Jesus says. He says, when you give, because it's assumed that my disciples are gonna be a giving people, don't do it to be seen of men. Don't walk into the temple with a big bag of money and drop it loudly so that everybody can see and say, look at how great a giver John is. Jesus says, if that's what you're doing, John, you have your reward. If you're doing this to be seen of men so that people will pat you on the back and praise you and tell you what a good person you are, you've got your reward. Give in secret because that's where godly sincerity is best tested. What about prayer? Don't stand up and make long prayers and lots of words and religiously sounding phrases. If you don't mean it from your heart, don't do that. Rather pray in this manner. And he gives us a model prayer in verses nine through 13. A model prayer. How should a Christian pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And fasting, verses 16 through 18. If you're gonna fast, if you're gonna abstain from food for the purpose of drawing closer in your relationship to God, make sure your fast is not to be seen of men, not so that people pat you on the back and tell you how spiritual you are, but rather do it in secret because you believe as a Christian that the God that you serve, he sees and he notices secret things. You believe that about God? Do you believe God sees and notices the secret things in your life? A disciple of Jesus is all about godly sincerity. And how do you test your sincerity? How do you know if you're really sincere? What do you do when nobody's watching? That's how. How do you respond to God when it becomes something that's out of the limelight and nobody sees you and nobody appreciates what you're doing, then how do you behave? Godly sincerity. Number five, kingdom ambition. Kingdom ambition. Spirituality is about being ambitious for the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 34. It's about kingdom ambition. A spiritual person is focused on the things that are precious to God. He challenges us in verses 19 through 21 to pick our treasure. What treasure are you gonna pick, Christian? What are you really gonna be all about? Are you all about the things of this world, laying up treasures on earth? Are you about the things of the kingdom, laying up treasures in heaven? He talks about our focus, our, our, our eyesight in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 6. How are you gonna look at the world? What are you gonna see when you watch the news or when you see or read uh, about the world events that are taking place? What are you gonna see? Do you see how this all impacts you personally or do you see what this has to do with the kingdom of God and what God's trying to do in the world? No one can serve two masters, Matthew 6, verse 24. What's your ambition? Who are you trying to serve with your life? Are you all about the kingdom of God? Are you all about money? Because you cannot serve both. Verses 25 through 34 of Matthew 6 have to do with worry. I want you to look at Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Everybody, look at your Bible. Matthew 6, 25, do not worry. Matthew 6, 31, look at it again. Do not worry. 
Matthew 6, verse 34, look at it again. Do not worry. Maybe your translation says something like this, do not be anxious, but the meaning is still the same. Jesus says when our ambitions are in the right place, when Matthew 6, 33 is really the longing of our heart, I wanna seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When those things are right in my heart, then I don't have as a Christian any real reason to worry or to fret or to wring my hands in despair about anything that's taking place in life around me. Because Christians are a people who have hope and our hope is founded on seeking the things that are above, not on the things of this world. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 3. You and I ought to ask ourselves from time to time, if we think we're spiritual, where are my ambitions really? What's really most important to me? What are the things I'm really trying to do? And let me tell you something, and you can write this down in your notes. Your bank account tells you what's really important to you. Just look at your bank account. I know nobody keeps bank statements much anymore. Maybe a couple of you do. But I know that most everybody looks online. You look at where you've been spending money. You look at what you've been doing with the things that God's blessed you with. That's going to tell you where your ambition really is. More than just about anything else in your life. That's why Jesus says right in the middle of all that in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, can't. Spirituality, it's about kingdom ambition. Incidentally, do you know where we find the kingdom of God today? The kingdom is the people of God. It's the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And there ought to be, if I'm a spiritual person, there ought to be a sincere love for the things and the people of God. And it ought to be manifested in the way that I treat the people of God, in the way that I esteem and think about and talk about the people of God. Kingdom ambition, it's about my treasure, it's about my master, it's about what I'm trying to do in my life. I wanna be spiritual and I wanna serve Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I wanna please God, that's spirituality. Number six, look at Matthew seven verses one through 12. Discerning relationships. You might say it this way, relational discernment. Relational discernment. Discernment, it has to do with wisdom. It has to do with thoughtfulness. Discernment does. And when you look at Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12, I want you to notice in three different areas of our lives where we ought to be discerning about our relationships. Look at Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. We ought to be discerning about how we treat others. Don't go get the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own. You know, I think some of the things Jesus said, his hearers chuckled. They laughed when he said some of these things because you can just kind of imagine. Don't get the speck. He, he might have even done this as he, as he taught this sermon. Don't get the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a log, a beam in your own. Don't do that. Rather be discerning in your relationships. Get the log out of your own eye first. Here's what that means. Whatever it is that irritates you about other people, that's precisely what you have a problem with yourself. I don't know why it works that way, but it does. Whatever just really, really bugs you and annoys you about the people in your life, you're the one that's got the problem. Get the log out of your own eye, deal with your own heart first, then and only then go and talk to your brother. Look at verses seven through 11. Discerning relationships has to do with my relationship with God. What is God like? He's like a father to me. And he only wants to give good things to his children. 
And what does God want from us? God wants us to pray to him and he wants to talk to him. He wants us to talk to him as a child talks to his father and to say, Father, there are things in my life that only you can provide and only you can give. Ask and seek and knock, Jesus says, because your heavenly father, he knows how to give good things to those who ask him. You know, sometimes we're not very discerning in our prayer lives. Our prayer lives become rote and stale when God wants us to speak to him as a child does to a father. Look at verse 12, discerning relationships. It's about the golden rule. You could, this is no exaggeration, you could memorize Matthew 7, 12, and you could apply that verse to 100,000 situations in your life. When you don't know what to do, you need discernment, you need wisdom, you could take Matthew 7, 12, and you can apply it to just about any thorny problem, any difficult issue, any complex situation, any challenging circumstance, you can take Matthew 7, 12, whatever you'd have men to do to you, do also to them. And it works. That may be the best known verse in the Bible and the least practiced verse in the Bible because it takes some wisdom and discernment. I need to think about what God's will for me is and how I treat this person or deal with this situation. It's the golden rule. Jesus says this is what spirituality is all about. Being spiritual is about discerning relationships. And then finally, number seven, as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 through 27, it is about unreserved commitment. Unreserved commitment. You know, sometimes when we join a club or an activity in our lives, sometimes we'll say, you know, I'm just gonna kind of test this out and see if it works. If it fits into my schedule, I'll keep doing it. And if, 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 uh, if, if being a part of this organization is something that, um, you know, it kind of, it, it seems like it's, it's really helping things, then I'll, I'll stay. But if not, I'm leaving. And if things get difficult, I'm leaving. Jesus says spiritual people, people who are spiritually minded, they have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Look at verses 13 and 14. Though none go with me, I still will follow. You see that in verses 13 and 14? The way is narrow that leads to life and few there are that find it. If you're spiritual, you ought to keep that principle in mind. Not everybody's gonna wanna go the way that you go. But unreserved commitment says, I'm gonna do God's will and I'm gonna please him even if the Broadway is a lot more popular and a lot easier for people to travel. Look at verses 14 through 20. There are many false teachers that are going out into the world, Jesus says, and they're gonna be wolves in sheep's clothing and they'll say things that sound good, they'll say things that sound appealing, but unreserved commitment is about a commitment to the truth. By their fruits you shall know them, beware of them, Jesus says, and keep listening to what you find in God's will. Don't listen to what those wolves in sheep's clothing are saying. It's about commitment. Verses 21 through 23, it's about not just saying that I'm gonna serve Jesus, but showing it in my life. Many will say to me on that day, and think about the audacity of what Jesus says there in Matthew 7, 21. Here is Jesus of Nazareth, and he's telling people that on the day of judgment, you're gonna to answer to me. 
You're going to give me an answer for how you've lived your life. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and do miracles and many mighty works in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Unreserved commitment, brothers and sisters and friends, is not just about saying, it's about doing. And then look at verses 24 through 27. The wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. What's the difference between the wise and the foolish man? Not just hearing, but doing. The foolish man heard the word, but he didn't do anything about it. He's like the man that built his house on sand. The wise man heard the word and put it into practice in his life. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you welcome the word of God into your life? Is there a place for, is there a place for the words of the Sermon on the Mount in your heart? Because Jesus says the wise man is the one who welcomes these words of mine into his heart and then does them. He makes changes in his life based on what I'm telling him. That's the wise man whose house is on a rock. And what's amazing about the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus deals with true, authentic spirituality, what's amazing is he doesn't end his sermon by saying to his audience, come let us stand and sing. He doesn't say that. He says, the rains came and the floods rose and the winds beat against the house of the foolish man and great was its fall. He ends with a word of warning. If you don't listen to what Jesus says and if you don't put into practice what he tells you to do, there's coming a day of calamity, a day of wrath, a day of judgment. And great will be the fall of those who have built their lives on something other than the words of Jesus Christ. Are you a spiritual person? Are you committed to things like your character and your influence and pleasing God no matter what? Are you committed unreservedly, unreservedly to doing the Lord's will? Maybe we can help you this morning become a Christian. The way some of you becomes a Christian is by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. He is the King. He is the Lord. He is the one that rose for you. Put your trust in Him. Obey His Word by being baptized for the remission of sins, having repented, having turned away from your life to live for Him with kingdom ambition for the rest of your days. If we can help you to do that this morning or if we can help you by praying for you and praying with you, won't you make that need known while together we stand and while we sing?